0: This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 1115 a.m. This is Lord of Life.
1: There is a place for you here. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com.
0: Today's first lesson is from the book of Jeremiah. And they shall be my people, no longer shall they teach one another or say to one another, "Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Holy wisdom, holy word: Thanks be to God.
1: The Holy Gospel, according to John the 12th chapter.. Glory. Now, among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, for mine, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world, now the ruler of this world will be driven out, and when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This he said to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace to you, O Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, from time to time, I get a notice in the mail from my car dealer. The notice informs me of how anxious they are to buy my car. (laughs) Of course, they are even more anxious for me to buy a new car, should I take their offer and sell my car. Now if I were to take them up on it, I would have a nice new car. In what sense would it be new? Well, it would have next to no mileage on it. It would smell new. Not that the car I have smells bad, mind you. (laughs) The tires would have next to no wear. And the paintwork would be pristine. It would doubtless have some features that the old car did not. But for all of that, it would not be totally new. It would be based on the same ideas and products that have been in use at least since the discovery of the wheel. Much, if not all, of what we call new is really a development of something that has already existed in the past. However, in biblical theology, new is something that has truly never been before. This is how we understand the creation out of nothing. Creation, that which is genuinely new, is God's future of life and love blossoming in the present of our world. God continues to create, to make something out of nothing. Out of the nothing of our broken lives, the dry bones of Ezekiel's vision, God's future of life and love has burst into our world full of grace in the new creation and our lessons this day put that newness of divine love and life on display. The new covenant foreseen by the prophet Jeremiah is fulfilled in the new creation through the cross of Christ. It is God coming at us from the future with all the power of love, grace and mercy to make us new. Jeremiah's words, the days are coming says the Lord strikes a note strikes a note of expectation. The future is coming at us, let us run ahead to meet it. Prophecy in the Old Testament is normally thought of as having a nearer and a farther meaning. The nearer meaning is for the immediate audience that the prophet addresses. Jeremiah's audience, for them, this was a summary of everything he had prophesied, a summary of his entire message, that despite the people's failure to keep the covenant at Sinai, God is making a new covenant. The law will be written on their hearts, not simply on tablets of stone as before. They will be a new people with a new spirit, a people that have internalized the law, God's will will be a part of their very being. They will be a new people whose sins have been forgiven and blotted out of the divine memory entirely. It is the newness of God's creating love and the forgiveness freely bestowed that connects Jeremiah's new covenant and its fulfillment in the Christ. The farther meaning of the prophet's words, then, is their fulfillment in the cross and resurrection of Jesus. And once again, we meet the statement that we heard in last week's gospel that Jesus must be lifted up from the earth as a symbolic reference to crucifixion. But here we also hear him say that lifting up, I will draw all people to myself. Jeremiah's prophecy spoke a promise to Israel. The fullest meaning of that promise revealed in the Christ is now the outreach of grace to all people. With that declaration then comes a great reversal. The condemnation of Jesus to death on a cross is not the defeat that it might have seemed to be Rather, it, it spells the defeat of the forces of evil that rule the world. Out of the chaos and nothingness of sin and the demonic forces of evil, there is in Christ a new creation and a new people, a truly new covenant. God's creating and life-giving, life-giving love coalesce, coalesce with God's mercy and forgiveness to make something out of nothing, life out of death. As the prophet imagined and the followers of Christ have come to realize, the grace of God that makes us new transforms our relationship to God's law. God's law of love for neighbor is not something we look upon with fear of failure, but rather something that has become a part of us, something we can embrace with joy because God has embraced us with love. As followers of Jesus, then, we are shaped by the Spirit in the virtues of love. What are those virtues? First, there is a humility that is without pretense and open to all. Jesus told his disciples that they were not to lord it over one another, but rather to be servants, as he himself had set aside his power to become our servant. Love, then, too, has a sense of solidarity with others in their suffering and their needs. God, with us in the incarnate Son, has not only shared our suffering, but also even our sin and our death, This is solidarity in the ultimate form. Love has a spirit of mercy, a spirit of mercy that is ready to forgive, just as God in love for our broken humanity is endlessly forgiving. Love is endowed with a spirit of peacemaking that seeks reconciliation wherever possible, and supplies the ways of peace in our, supports the ways of peace in our public servants. God was in Christ reconciling the world to God's own self, St. Paul tells us, and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. Love is possessed of a deep sense of justice and is ready to give support to the oppressed and the marginalized. The plight of the poor is uppermost on God's agenda, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Love has the courage to stand up for the gospel when faced with the loveless distortions of the Christian faith and life. Love has the courage to challenge racism and sexism and discrimination on the basis of sexuality Jesus challenged the distortions of God's word and the oppression of those on the margins of society all the way to the cross. These are some of the virtues of love's character and they all refer back to the Christ who exemplifies them perfectly. Love's virtues have a thirst for action. It is not virtue If it is not active in the ways of love. However, how that works in life may be difficult to discern, for we are each, we each have our own limits and our own aptitudes. When I was about 10 years old, there was a street called Catalpa Avenue that connected my block with the streets where my friends lived. So I regularly rode my bike down Catalpa to get to my friends. And Catalpa was not paved, but was covered with gravel. One day, after a fresh coat of gravel had been put down, I made my usual trip. My bike tires skidded badly on the loose gravel. I went over, my arm gouged into the gravel, and the bike fell on top of me. I lay there crying and bleeding, and a woman who saw the accident was walking by, and she said to me, Just pray, young man. Just pray. And she went right on walking. Now, there was no doubt she was a person of faith. But it seemed to me that she had failed the Good Samaritan test. She was unable to take action, maybe pick up my bike, maybe help me up with a word of comfort, maybe help me to get home. But I have also thought since that time, maybe that was the best she was capable of. She could have said nothing. Perhaps it was just too uncomfortable for her to give direct assistance. So there's a double meaning to this story. Love responds, but for whatever reason, we sometimes find it hard to know how. So now I wonder, what, what, what would I have done? What in the many years since that time have I done or failed to do when needs were presented? We shouldn't just pray, unless things are totally beyond our our involvement but we should pray for the courage of love the courage which activates all love's virtues and so says Jesus in our gospel whoever serves me must follow me and wherever I am there will my servant be also so as we pray for the courage to love courage of love to follow Jesus Jesus is there with us. Jesus is there with us." The Greeks came to Philip and said, "'Sir, we wish to see Jesus.'" As a little boy in Sunday school, I recall the teacher saying that if we fold our hands and close our eyes real tight, we can just see Jesus. I was pretty sure I was the only little kid who didn't see Jesus. I now know that until that blessed time when we shall see face to face, whenever love flourishes and the grace of God flows, we shall see him in each other. Amen.